This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So today I want to talk about a word that is relatively a recent newcomer to the English language. It is uh, a word that doesn't have a very long history compared to many other words and concepts that I have been discussing on this YouTube channel. And that word is robot. Of course, today we widely use it, we take it for granted, but I think it's important to look at its journey, at its etymology, where did it come from? And for that, we need to travel to Central Europe, to the Czech language, because that's where its roots are. And we need to focus on the works of, a, of an amazing thinker, a journalist, a playwright, and the novelist Karel Kapek. He used the word robot for the first time in a play he wrote in 1920. And in that context, the word refers to forced labor or forced service. So I think it's also worth mentioning that these words has German and Polish connections as well. And basically, it takes us to this system of serfdom in which some people are forced to work for others. That is the root of the term. And before I go any further, uh, Karel Kapek himself is, is a very interesting thinker. I find his work important. He was a Democrat, and of course he lived at a time when the world was changing, Europe was changing dramatically, and he was aware of the dangers of totalitarianism, of any ideology that erases individuality and sees human beings as parts of a homogenous, monolithic mass. So understandably, he was critical of Nazism. Uh, and not surprisingly, he would be, he was going to be on the most wanted list of the Gestapo, on the blacklist of Gestapo. I think it's also important to very quickly add that one of the terms that he wanted to use instead of robot at the beginning was labori, labor. Again, it's connected to that term, uh, of forced labor. So let us keep that in mind. But in order to discuss the word robot in a more detailed way, I think we need to go back in time a little bit and travel to 19th century to the works of a brilliant woman writer, a female uh, author, uh, who was Mary Shelley, of course. And she's the one who makes us think today, you know, some of the most relevant and urgent questions of our times. I think in order to understand uh, how to answer these questions, we need to bear in mind Mary Shelley's work, who had some worries, who had some pre um, you know, concerns about the development of technology, of what we create as human beings. And all of those worries are, of course, are very clear in this iconic uh, piece of literature, that novel that she created, and she started writing this at the age of 18, let us not forget that, in which Dr. Victor Frankenstein creates a monster from dead human parts 
thinking he'll be able to control this creature. But of course, things don't go uh, as planned and the creature gets out of hand and starts to um, hurt him and hurts humanity. So in a way, you create something thinking you're in control, you're in charge, but it doesn't necessarily work that way. And this question, of course, is very relevant in our moments in our age as we are seeing huge advances in AI. And I want to talk about AI and I want uh, to also emphasize that we need to be concerned and we need to be able to share these concerns in the public space. We have to become engaged citizens and our voices matter. And when we become engaged citizens, I'm not only talking about the public space, but also I'm talking about the digital space. The thing is, we're living in a world in which there's, there's too much information, way too much information, but very little knowledge and even less wisdom. And sometimes we conflate these things, even though they're completely different. So when we're bombarded with this much information, it gives us the illusion that we know everything or we know something about so many subjects. But in fact, we have forgotten to say, I don't know about anything. So knowledge is very different than information. And wisdom, of course, ultimately is completely different. For wisdom, you need to bring the mind and the heart together. For knowledge, you need slow journalism, you need books, you need nuanced conversations. Uh, so you need to slow down, it can't be rushed. But snippets of information just spreading around across digital platforms is something completely different. I'm worried that the algorithms we are being shaped by every day, they're not neutral. They're not objective, but they give us the illusion of being objective. When I read a newspaper, more or less as a reader, I do have an idea about the editorial policy behind that newspaper. And if I don't like something, again, as a reader, I can write a letter. But when I watch a YouTube video, again, it gives me the impression that it is there um, completely in a neutral, objective way. But in fact, it isn't. As human beings, as we develop these algorithms, we reflect our own stereotypes, our own prejudices, our own mental walls. And as you know, within the world of tech companies, there isn't proper diversity. So when you look at gender equality, when you look at racial inequality, ethnic inequality, um, there isn't equal representation. And all of that actually is reflected in our algorithms. But something else is happening also. And this worries me because once we get drawn into these echo chambers, as we keep watching more of the same stuff, more and more, we become sharper, we become radicalized in a way. So if I have tendencies, if I have a potential or if I have stereotypes, you know, prejudices against a certain minority, let's say, if I have an element of misogyny in me or homophobia or Islamophobia or anti-Semitism and so on, by watching similar videos in the same direction over and over again, I can be easily, quickly, more and more radicalized in that direction. My worry is that technology, AI in particular, is expanding, is developing so fast. And we as a society and as human beings, we're lagging behind. We need to have philosophical discussions about what it means to be human. What kind of a world do we want to live in? What are our 
values? What is morality? What kind of a world do we want to leave to the next generations? So all of those discussions are happening very slowly. And meanwhile, technology is spreading and moving very fast. And that gap is widening and widening. We are yet to catch up with regards to, you know, legal discussions, philosophical discussions, social discussions. We are lagging behind. And that concerns me. Uh, I do not uh, belittle, underestimate the positive aspect of AI or all the good things that it can bring into our lives. But I think we need a healthy dose of pessimism here in this conversation so that we can be aware of the dangers that Karel Kapek and Mary Shelley were well aware of in 1920 or the 19th century. We cannot abandon a healthy dose of pessimism. And the last thing that I want to leave you with is the technology is way too important to leave it just to you know, people who are doing this for a living. We need to be part of this conversation. We women, we minorities, especially young people need to be part of this conversation. So I find it very important that we have diversity, inclusion, and we bring people to the table, that table in which decisions are being made when we're talking about technology. AI is incredibly important. It is very complex. It does have a bright side, but it also has a very dark side. And we need to have a healthy dose of pessimism to understand what is at stake.